You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. Welcome to Bethany Bible's online service. We'll be glad when this is all over. We're figuring it out. And again, if we have technical issues or the feed just goes boop and there's nothing, um, if we're close to the end, we'll probably just end it. We won't come back on. But uh, uh, if we're in the middle, just keep refreshing your browser or whatever and, and find us again. And the Lord's been gracious. We've had pretty good technical success. And are we doing okay this morning? Everything looks good as normal. So great until it just glitches. So that's okay. But uh, glad you can join us from wherever you're at. And again, comments, uh, uh, fill that in uh, to each other as you see people sign on or, or different people that are commenting. Um, say hi to one another again during the sermon, during this time. Um, if you have a comment or, or uh, uh, share with one another, do that. It's, it's, it's a way of fellowship. It's not like it is in person, but it's it's a way. So feel free to do that. If you've not commented to somebody else, do that today. Uh, begin that. Just a couple things that you already probably have memorized if you've been listening closely to the announcements, but just in case you haven't heard, we do uh, have a couple of opportunities during the week in the midst of this, and I'm not sure how long. Hopefully this is a shorter uh, time period we have left of doing church in this way. Um, but this week, again, uh, Hannah's hosting the, the uh, Zoom tea party, or <laughs> tea party, tea uh, gathering uh, together of the ladies. That's at 3 o'clock on Tuesday afternoons. You can text her or email her for, for that Zoom info. And then I've been emailing out as well. Wednesday nights, our fellowship time, prayer. We've been reading through uh, Coronavirus in Christ or listening to it from John Piper. Great book, I think helpful and, and really obviously timely for this this season. So that's at six o'clock on Wednesday nights. Again, you can email the church, text me for to make sure you can get online at that time. Um, hopefully those links that I've already sent out are, are the same every week. So if you click on that, it, it, will, it will take you to the same meeting. Um, again, thank you to those. We're not doing an offering here, but thank you for those, again, that are taking time to send in your gifts, your offerings. Really appreciate that on behalf of all the church. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for making that effort. If you want to do that, you can, again, send those to Brandon himself directly. Find his address in the church directory. You can send it to the church. I'll make sure they get to him. Our church address is P.O. Box 428 here in Leroy. So thank you again for those that are doing that. Let me just ask you, and I don't know what living room I'm in or kitchen table or wherever you're at. How are you doing in all this. I know that our range can be from the gamut of frustration. We're just, we're just ready to be done with this to maybe there's still lingering fear or maybe somebody close to you um, has got the coronavirus and you're stressed and worried about them or kids are at home and it's just, it's uh, quite the sanctification time at home. I just encourage you again as the body of believers is to reach out uh, to one another in this. You can reach out to the church here. You can call me if you'd like or Hannah. Um, but I also encourage you, those that you know from the church, is to reach out to them. Say, I'm, I'm not doing so well. Can you pray for me or to uh, talk to them? And so I would just want to encourage you to reach out. If, if you're not doing so well, um, 
You don't need to go through this alone. So we'll make that available to you or one of the elders, call them as well, um, Brandon or Dave or Milt. I want to encourage you even now in this kind of this pre-time before we get to the sermon, just even to think. I'd like you to, today, I'm going to challenge you to think of one person uh, in our church that God might bring to your mind to make a phone call this week. Like, use the phone. It's okay to use. Make a phone call and check in on them. And I wonder for you, who would, who would come to mind? Who would that be? Uh, in just a little bit, I'm going to pray through some of Psalm 146, just to pray uh, before we get, begin, pray for our church. And that I'm going to come to a point and pause there. I'm going to ask you to pray for somebody in our church. Maybe it's that person you sit near or you can remember them. Um, maybe you don't know them and you've got a directory and you don't know who this person is, but you got their name. And I want to encourage you, each of you watching, kids as well, hope you're on and online and able. You've got your, maybe your drawing pad ready to go. But I want kids, I want you too as well. Think about maybe another child and uh, another friend in your Sunday school class or somebody here in church. Think of one person that you would pray for this morning. You got them in mind? I won't wait a long time, but hopefully you got somebody in mind. Be thinking of them, and I'm going to begin our time just, just to pray for us as a church. So would you just pray with me here? And I'm basing this in part in Psalm 146. Father, we just come to you this morning, and we thank you again that we can pray to you by the blood of Jesus. We're redeemed, reconciled, forgiven. Um, You've taken our sins to the middle of the sea and buried them, not to be brought up again because of you. So we come and we only come today in worship, not because we're worthy, Lord, or we've somehow earned a place at your table. We come as needy sinners, full of full of sin, Lord, and yet you've redeemed us. We have this wrestle in us. So, Lord, thank you that you bring us to yourself, and we just come by the blood of Jesus. We come because of Jesus today to pray to you. Lord, you say in Psalm 146 that you set the prisoner free. And, Lord, we praise you that you're the one, the prisoner that is in bondage and stuck in sin. You're the one. We don't set ourselves free You set us free, and we thank you for that. Lord, you give sight to the blind, and had you not given sight to any of us, we would not see your glory in Christ. So we praise you for the sight you give, and we pray for eyes to see today, greater eyes, greater vision to see what you're doing around us, in the people around us, in our own hearts, and even thinking today, especially in your word. Lord, you lift up those who are bowed down. You love the righteous. Lord, we bow before you. We recognize you are Lord of creation. You who have, who have numbered and named, you know all the stars. You know where the frost and the snow and the hail come from. Lord, you're in control of, over all these things, so we bow before your majesty. Lord, we thank you that you watch over sojourners. You uphold widows and fatherless. And Lord, I pray for widows that are watching today, fatherless that are watching today. Would you uphold them by your strength and power? Would you encourage them as they even deal in a a unique way through this time without that kind of uh, support? 
Lord, encourage them today as well. And now as you, Bethany, as you're praying along with me, would you just take some time? I'm going to be quiet here. So our, your sound is not off. The feed is not gone cold. But would you just take time and pray for that one person that you're thinking of in our church? Pray for them and then we'll, we'll end here. And we all said in our various homes and living rooms, amen. Amen. Well, let's get to God's word again. And I invite you to find Philippians, the book of Philippians again. We continue in our march through this, through this book. Philippians chapter 2 today, verse 12 is where you can head to. While you're getting to Philippians 2.12. I just think it's so so neat, God's providence, just even of this book of Philippians that we happen to be in at this time. Um, but I want to show you some pictures I got this week. Um, boy, I'm sure grateful. Thank you for all kids that are watching and, and you're paying attention. Thank you. And I appreciate um, Malachi and Micah and Molly faithfully mailing to me their pictures. This is just wonderful. I just so appreciate every week getting these. Um, I'll start with uh, yeah, I'll start with Malachi this week. I've got him in my hand. Malachi drew this. What if I get it closer this week, George? What's that like, sir? It's it's not great, but it says fully God and fully man. Yeah, Malachi, you caught the. You caught what we were talking about last week. And how is it, Jesus, these, these two natures, fully God, fully man, and one person. And that's what we were looking at last week. Um, Micah, I believe this is yours. The name's not there, but I'm pretty sure this is Micah. Micah's going with the column. Didn't draw a picture, but a column. This is awesome. Micah caught on. That we talked about the first Adam and then the second or the last Adam, Jesus. So the first Adam fell to sin Sin and death, remember the garden, eating that forbidden from that tree. When you eat of it, you will die. Uh, There's pain and suffering. That first Adam needed a Savior. But Jesus came, the last Adam, fully God, fully man, like Malachi showed us. He stood up to sin, offers eternal life and no sin, no pain and suffering. For those who are in Christ, he went through the pain and suffering on our behalf. Now he, now he reigns no longer to die every day for our sins, but he's conquered it, and he is the Savior. So, Micah, that's just great. Love, love what you caught on. So some of you draw some columns. I love it. It's just all the different ways. And I believe this. Yeah, this is from, uh, this is from Molly. There's your name right there. She says, I will give thanks. Save us, we pray. You are my God. Trust the Lord God. We give thanks to you, oh my God. And then I think she's got, well, she's got Jesus on the cross here, King of the Jews and his blood, and then you've got uh, the centurion. He really is the Son of God. And then she's got a note here to look on the back. So we do that, and we say, no, he didn't stay on that cross, did he? Our cross up here is empty. He has risen. Says Jesus, I love you, God. So thank you, Molly, for doing that. Other kids, if you want to write to that same address and or have your parents just take a take a picture of that photo and text it to me that's just wonderful so thank you for doing that 
All right. Well, we're in Philippians 2, just two short verses here. Uh, in a way, I won't say short, short, but they're just two verses long. So let's read the text of God's Word. Um, we'll pray again, and, and uh, but let's read again the text, what God says to us, Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And it's just, maybe it's out of habit, but let's just pray again, because I don't think we can ask enough for the God to bless our time. So just join with me in prayer. Lord, I just pray right now as we go through this passage that can be challenging and can offer up uh, fear, maybe even just in the reading of it. What is this? working out our salvation. What is this fear and trembling? Oh, Lord, would you just work in this time again? Lord, those that are following this feed, those that are watching this later on, those that are hearing this through our podcast, Lord, would you just bless the hearing of your word today? Lord, again, I'm praying, Lord, that we wouldn't come away with, with this is a great sermon, but what a great God we have. This is the God we serve. So help us to come away exalting you, praising your name, your son, Jesus. So guide our time. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would work in all these different homes and these places. Maybe people are listening to this, driving somewhere, that you would work during this time by your spirit to draw our hearts to you. And and then, Lord, what are you calling us to do? What is Paul in your word here? What is he calling us? So guide us to hear that as well. We ask your blessing and your work in this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a powerfully packed section of just two verses. You've got this this idea in here, work out your own salvation. You know, maybe you're thinking, well, I thought salvation was by grace and not works. What's what's this doing here? Uh, And then you've got fear and trembling, I mean, aren't we reconciled to God, right? This is what Christ has done. Why, why is there still fear and trembling going on? I thought we were beyond this. Um, by God's grace, I want to work through this section, kind of inch by inch, as it were here, through this, and examine the glory of a God who, who works in us by his grace for his good will. So we want to see God through this, but we'll just kind of work through it little by little, What's this? What's going on here? And hopefully God will do the work to bring us um, a right understanding of this passage. So let's look again at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The first word here, at least in the ESV, I think it's probably like this for every Um, other one. The first word of verse 12 really sets up the context of this particular study of here. It's that word, therefore. And so these verses come right on the heels of where we've been last three weeks, right? And in uh, Philippians 2, really verses 5 through 11 or 6 through 11, they're right on the heels. We've had that that display here, verses 6 through 8, of the obedience of Christ. Christ coming in the flesh, 
taking on human form, his humbling, his obedience to the cross, that humiliation, and then that exalting of Christ by God the Father. He's exalted, he's bestowed on him the name above every other name, the name above all names in verses 9 through 11. And so in light of this, Paul then can say, beloved, right? They're beloved. He's got the affections of Christ for them. Beloved, in light of Christ's obedience and exaltation, continue and much more obey him with fear and trembling while being confident of God's work in you. So let's look at that next phrase, as you've always obeyed. The, the Paul, Paul uses the word for obedience here, and it's worth pronouncing. I don't pronounce a lot of Greek words. This one, I, you might hear if I pronounce it. Hupe uh, kousate, okay? Hupe kousate. Hupa if I say it right, kind of in our English. Hupe kous aku acoustics. You hear in there acoustics, the, the hearing. So there's, within this word obey, there's this idea of hearing and listening. And parents, this is not a foreign idea. Right? When you talk to your kids, you want them, you know, you say, if something's not done, did you, did you hear what I said? Did you hear that? Were you listening when I told you that? And so that's how the question can go for parents or for other, other situations. If the message is heard, can be obeyed, and there's this tie in Scripture of this hearing and obedience. And so I think it's, interesting. Paul uses that word here. We see it in the Old Testament, places like Deuteronomy 6.3. Moses says to Israel in calling them to fear the Lord by keeping all his commandments, right? Moses calls them to this and he says, hear therefore, O Israel, it's Shema, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. The hearing and the listening is equated with the doing. So to obey is to hear God's word and then to do, to work out what it says. Not four verses earlier, even in this section before we got here, Paul has used the same word to describe Jesus' obedience. Uh, verse 8, Philippians 2, 8, look at what Jesus did. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming uh, akuo, okay? Uh, I don't remember the, the, the right Greek word, but becoming obedient. Same word to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore, in light of Christ's obedience, have this mind in you, which was Christ, in light of this, Philippians do likewise. Obey your God. But there's one more aspect of this word that's helpful to point out, this word for obey. And one resource, as I study and I look at different word definitions and Greek words and this sort of thing, one points out that the form of the word used here can carry with it the idea of submission. So we see here, as you've always obeyed, or, you know, you've heard, you've listened, the same idea, there's also within this this idea of submission. Well, think about it in light of our context. So context is so helpful. Submissive obedience, where does that come from? Look at verses uh, 9 through 11. That's what they've dealt with. Verses 9 through 11, who do they exalt? Who are we to submit to? The Lord, whom every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess he is the Lord. 
There's submission going on to this Lord. I think, I think even in the context, as you've obeyed, remember this Lord, so obey, so submit. So Philippians and church, the idea here is of submitted obedience. We as people of God were to obey, but not just in the, in the sense of, yeah, just do what God says. Just, just do it. He says to do this. He says to obey. Just do that. But that we recognize Christ's lordship over our lives. He is Lord, and we submit in obedience to him. He reigns in our obedience. It's a joyful submission to him. And that submission is whether anybody's around or not. You see, Paul here has in this next phrase, he calls them to obedience, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Not only when I'm with you, but when I'm away from you. And we're certainly, we're familiar with the temptation in this. In front of certain people, our guard is up. We're going to be on our best behavior. But when they leave or when they're absent or when we're alone in a room, are we obeying? Are we submitted? Are we just doing it because other people are around? And so when, when people are absent, there can be a slackening to that. You know, in one sense, in our present coronavirus uh, stay-at-home, this, this idea that's going on, in a, in a sense, we're living this out in these days. We're not present with one another. We're absent from one another. The means of God's grace that he provides us in the gathered body together, they're means to encourage our faith to be built up, and that's largely missing. And, and I wonder how many of us might say, my obedience has slipped in the absence of the gathered body. We lack the accountability, uh, routine to some part, even, and I think in a good way, the the peer pressure of time with God's people. We're all worshiping together. We're in this together. There's that sense of accountability and togetherness in this. In in this time period, we're absent. We're, We're much on our own. I think we should feel that kind of that, that drawing away because God's provided the church, the body, the fellowship, the parts to build one another up. And we need that. We're lacking that. We've got some helps. I mean, we're Facebook. A comment will be nice, but uh, a Zoom meeting or those sorts of things. And I hope you can take advantage of those. There's something. But true fellowship, true building up, we're lacking. So we'll look forward to that day we can be together and And in the meantime, call somebody. Make that a way of of filling in that gap. Well, this all leads to to Paul's admonition here, still in verse 12, his admonition to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I want to answer two questions as we get to this section of this verse. Uh, Number one, is is Paul saying our salvation is by works now? I mean, I thought it wasn't. Is he saying that? This is... Salvation, work out your own salvation. Man, I thought it wasn't. And number two, what does he mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? What, what does that mean? So let's just take those two questions. Is our salvation by work? The quick answer is no. Okay, we're saved by grace, to use Paul's language in Ephesians, another letter he wrote. We're saved by grace, not by works. But this is also not the whole answer. For even the verses I referred to from Ephesians say that we are his workmanship. We're God's 
workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's works going on in what God is doing in us. There's definitely works a believer will do. But these works are not on the front end of our salvation. They're on the the back end. They're on the, the result end. They're not on the merit, the earned end. They're on the you have been saved, so created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I want you to think about this kind of long-term view of salvation because we in America, we're very accustomed to salvation and maybe just thinking of it as a decision, kind of a, this is a one-time event. Are you saved? Yeah, back when I was so-and-so years old, I asked Jesus into my heart, something like that. Kind of this one-time event. And we lose out on this idea of the progressive sanctification work of God till we are home to be with Christ in glory. I think Paul has in mind here the long view of salvation. Certainly, there is a one-time death-to-life regeneration moment. Some of us know, yeah, it was then. Some of us kind of, we can, can look back and say, my life has changed. There's, there's this moment, this rebirth. But there's also this long-term working out of our salvation. One commentator, Walter Hansen, says this about this long-term obedience to Christ, and I I quote it because I think it's helpful. He says, When the path of obedience to Christ becomes steep and dangerous, pleasure seekers look for an easier way. Religious tourists, I love how he calls them religious tourists. What a great way to describe it. Religious tourists hunting for sensational entertainment Instantaneous enlightenment and emotional excitement will jump on the newest rides and take quick shortcuts, but they will not be found with pilgrims on the long, hard road following in the footsteps of Christ who was obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's the long-term view of our salvation, not a long-term earning in a sense, but a long-term working out of this salvation till glory. Also here, just to mention, I don't believe Paul has in mind just just one person's, their individual salvation and obedience. I've read enough of of some others, and, and it was helpful to think through this. This is not just you and God, your salvation. This is this is a you all. There's a there's plural pronouns going on here uh, with this. There's a community aspect. And the emphasis, we've seen it from chapter one, verse 27. There's been the church standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then here in chapter 2, Paul's admonition for them has been to have the same mind, the same love, in humility, honor others, that sort of idea. So there's a corporate call here. Yes, there's a call for each of you individually listening, reading this patches, but there's also an effect on the corporate body. I think I've said this before. Your walk with Christ is not a solo mission. It's not just you and Jesus. We need you and Jesus to be part of us and Jesus. We need to build one another up. It's part of the fellowship of the body. There's a corporateness to our salvation as well, and it affects the church. Our working out our salvation, our obedience affects one another. Corporate call here. Okay, well, question number two, what does Paul mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? 
And again, if we're thinking contextually in the scripture, what would make us fear and bring about a certain uh, trauma in us? Well, I didn't read it before. I'll read it now. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Just maybe you don't have to turn the page. Just look up from where you're at. Why would we fear and tremble? Listen to who we serve. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It's everywhere. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The fear and trembling here for the believer, they're not in a sense of being scared for your life. There's a sense of a fear of reverence and exaltation of Christ, his status as Lord and King and recognizing him. I mean, I think we can see this. I'm sure if the president walked into our, house, our houses, we would have a, a certain amount, hopefully, of, of reverence. How much greater, how much, I mean, you, just, you take that amount or some, maybe your favorite celebrity or whatever, this, oh, wow. They're in, I'm in the presence, whatever, of them. No, 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 that's, that's all just fades when we say, look at Jesus. He's above all this, heaven, earth, under the earth. This is the one you're to fear, you're to tremble when you come before him. Not scared that he's going to just zap you, but, but fearfully reverent of him. So yes, Jesus is, he's a friend to sinners. He is with us, and we want to emphasize those. He loves us, he cares for us in our anxiety. But this does not mean Jesus is any less Lord of the universe and holy in all he does. Jesus is not our co-pilot. He's not someone we call to only when a virus comes around. He's not who we sing about or think about on Sunday and then we forget him by Monday morning. He reigns over all. He rules over all. And his people Submit to their Lord with glad hearts of obedience. Listen to what the psalmist says. This is what God gives God pleasure. I already read Psalm 147. This was part of it. I think it's verses 10 and 11. His delight, God's delight, is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in, you finish it, those who fear him, in those who, who hope in his steadfast love. Those who fear God, they're the same ones who in glad submission, they obey the Lord. Psalm 112.1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Or if you're on the the two-year reading plan, perhaps you just read through Ecclesiastes and chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You see the tie-in with Paul? Paul tells the Philippians, and we as a church, we need to hear this today, obey, whether I'm present, whether I'm absent, with fear and trembling, obey your Lord and Savior. But praise God, praise the Lord, this is not where Paul ends. And we have verse 13. These two, I mean, you could preach sermons on each, but these two just go together You've got this work out your salvation, fear and trembling, obey. And then you've got verse 13. Really what we've read 
already is the effect of verse 13. And so this is kind of backwards. Paul, in one sense, he puts the result first, but the foundation, the cause, the the building block of our working is here in verse 13. And so let's look at that. Again, verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what is behind all the fear and the trembling and the working out, the obedience, the working out of their salvation? It is a God who is working in them, in you who are in Christ. Praise the Lord. Were we to end the sermon at verse 12 with kind of a a call, well, fear God, and just, just hear me rightly on this, don't take it any further, but would be like every other religion, just trying to please their deity, fear him, obey him, just do your best. But God's gospel is different. We worship a gracious and a working God who works in us what he commands of us. In fact, the very first word in this sentence you've got, in the English, you've got a for it is God. The first word in the Greek is theos, God. God, as if to emphasize, don't miss it. Don't miss verse 13. This is God. He's the one at work. He's the one both to will and then to work. Now, Calvin describes these two areas of God's work, and I think he's looking at the two words of both to will and to work, those parts of that verse. He describes them this way, and I'll just read um, from him here. He says, there are in any action, I think he's talking about our, our, our working, our obedience, there are in any action two principal departments, the inclination and the power to carry it into effect. So you've got the inclination, the will, and the power to carry into effect, the work. Both of these he, that is Paul, ascribes wholly to God. What more remains to us as a ground of glorying, he asks. And then he goes on to say this. For the inclination is the groundwork. The accomplishment of it is the summit of the building brought to a completion. What's Calvin saying here? What's, what's this quote about? He's saying your will, your desires, your inclination, and the power to carry out those desires does not come from you. It comes from God. So that any work we do in obedience must ultimately be traced back to God's working in us. And I don't think just kind of jump-started that work. I think it's a present working. And so what does this destroy? If we say God is at work, he's the one working in my will, working in my, my working, <laughs> to say it that way, what's, what does this destroy in us? It destroys pride. That stuff that makes us not humble, pride. It destroys boasting in us. It destroys self-exaltation. Look at me. I'm, I think I'm getting this Christian thing down. And I got at least five of the commandments today. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Destroys it. Say, it's not you. Yes, you're called to work. You're called to obey. It's not you working. It's God working in you. Again, one more quote from, from Calvin today who comments on the working of God here. He says, this is the true engine for bringing down all haughtiness, pridefulness. This, the sword for putting an end to all pride when we are taught that we are utterly nothing and can do nothing except through the grace of God alone. 
destroys pride when we say God is at work in you both to will and to work. So how do we then reconcile our work and God's work? How do we fit this together? I mean, clearly we're, we're told to work here. So we don't want to leave verse 12 and go, well, that verse 12 doesn't really matter. He's not really saying that because he's really saying God's What's this working and obeying? And yet we've got to agree, verse 13, God's the one working in us. Um, I thought of an illustration. All of them are going to break down at some point, I'm sure. But I thought of it this way. Um, I thought of a TV, DVD, this is a DVD remote. These things are precious. Um, you know, thinking about the remote, I thought, we will probably spend more time trying to find this in our couch than actually going up to the unit to turn it on. These, we look for these things like, where is that remote? We want to find it. Okay, And the remote... It's, it's great. I mean, this one we don't use anymore. We've got a different one. But, but there's, there's buttons, it works, and that sort of thing. But it, this remote will not work without one essential component. I don't know if you can see on the back of it, but this is the component that this thing right now is dead, and it takes two AAA batteries. This remote is dead. It is not going to work without the batteries in it. It's worthless. It will do its work as long as it's got the batteries. So we could ask, when the remote changes the channel or the DVD or whatever it is, what did the work? What was, what was at work there? Was it the remote or the batteries? Well, you'd be right to say, yeah, the, the pushing the buttons changed the channel, but I could push these all day if I were at home looking at the DVD. I could push these all day. Nothing is going to happen because it has no batteries. The, the AAA batteries are crucial to the working of this. Those batteries must be there for this to work. And so God must work and will in us. He must empower us who are dead in sin. You know, even like this, I, that what I hesitate is that we're not even like this. We, if I had just a block of wood, that's who we are. We don't even have buttons on us. God rebirths us into something usable for his glory with his batteries and makes us useful to work out those things. But he's the one empowering us. And so we are his workmanship created in Christ then to do good works. Walter Hansen, I think I've quoted from him already in this. He talks about some Christian slogans here. And, and I know this might step on some toes, but just, just hear him out and hear the idea in this as we think about God's working in us. He says, God's working in believers precedes and empowers their work, but does not obviate the need for their work. In other words, he's saying God empowers the work, but it it doesn't uh, leave off the need for the believer to work. He goes on. Paul is not telling Christians to let go and let God or kind of get out of God's way so God can do it. Such slogans for the Christian life express a pacifism not consonant with Paul's call to the persistent obedience of working out salvation in the life of the church. Nor is Paul advocating a God of the gaps. This is interesting. A God of the gaps. Maybe this idea, go as far as you can. You hear that? Then leave the rest for God. Do what you can, and then let God fill in the gap from there. Or God helps those who help themselves. You got to get on the you get on the treadmill. You get going, he'll come. These I'm now I'm quoting back again. These attitudes endorse an activism 
that only admits the need for a little boast or a small subsidy from God. I need a little bit of God here. Paul, however, teaches the absolute necessity of the empowering presence of God, not only to do any work, but also to have a desire to do the work. And in all this, God is working and willing for his good pleasure. That's the last part of the the verse, to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's good pleasure or his, his his purpose or his will is behind all of his working and willing in the lives of believers in Christ. His working is not according to something earned by us for our fear and trembling. It looks like well, he's at about a nine on the fear fact, on the fear rating and the trembling. Let's go, f- okay, we'll work in his life. This is his good pleasure, his purpose. He's fulfilling those things. And what is his ultimate will? What's God's ultimate purpose? It's his own glory. We even see that in this very book. Paul prayed for the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 9, that they would be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That kind of sounds like this working out the salvation, this fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Paul's sole desire, sole desire when we think of the kind of the, the overarching theme here, for me to live is Christ. For Paul, it was the honor of Christ, whether in life or death, the glory of Christ. Paul's desire is to remain with the Philippians for their progress in the faith that through Paul they may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. All of God's pleasures, his willing, his wanting, his desires are for his glory alone. And when he works in us the ability, the willingness to submit to him, it gives God pleasure. It glorifies him. I think Jude verses 24 and 25 sum it up well. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It's all about the glory of God. As we draw this to a close, I think of two kinds of people, and this is original with me, but, but I, I think I've heard it somewhere. I think of two people, and I don't know if it was these verses, but two kinds of people hearing these verses here, and I want to address that really, really briefly here. And maybe you're somewhere in between, but maybe one type of person, we read through verses 12 and 13, these short verses, and some of you read this passage and you hear that first part on fear and trembling this working out of one's salvation. And you hear this, not, not in terms of, okay, this is motivating to go follow Jesus. This, this, these are scary terms. You, you're the fear and trembling. You're, yeah, that's where I'm at most of the time. I'm mostly fearing and trembling because I'm not, just, I'm not sure. There's a lack of an assurance going on. E- even though verse 13 clearly shows God is at work, he's the one working in you, you just can't seem to get verse 12 out of your minds. And so you need to hear verse 13. You need to hear that loud. It's God working in you, willing and working in you. Calvin, I guess uh, I lied. I got one more quote. Uh, Calvin says, yet so far is this fear from disturbing tranquility of conscience and shaking confidence 
that it rather confirms it. For distrust of ourselves leads us to lean more confidently upon the mercy of God. You hear what he's saying? If you have a a fear and a trembling going, I don't know if I can make this. I don't know if I can do this. What a gracious place to be to say, that's where you then look for the mercy of God and say, oh, Lord, be praised. You are doing this. Confirms. Doesn't shouldn't shake your confidence. It should confirm it. This this fear. Think of Philippians one six, and I am sure of this. Paul says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You need to hear that. He who began that work will bring it to completion. Now that's one type of person. Listen, there's a second, and maybe that's those that are just content in your current salvation. I think I'm doing pretty good. Life's going all right. I think I got this down. Sure, I pull out my Bible every so often. I think I'm doing all right. Some of you hearing this passage, you could use some more fear and trembling in your life. Again, God's going to do it. He's at work. Maybe you, maybe you think this way. God's, God's going to do it. He's at work. I'm just kind of along for the ride here. I'll just let him work. I don't know. We'll see where he takes me. Or perhaps there's a pride. There's a confidence in your work. I'm doing all right. And with fear and trembling, you need to have eyes again to see the majesty and the holiness, the awe of God, the true lordship of Christ that calls you to give everything for the sake of Christ, to leave everything, if need be, to follow him, to no longer have the cares of this world, but say, I'm yours, Jesus. I fear you, you're my Lord, and I will follow. And Lord, do what you're commanding, work in me in that way. Well, I don't know what place you're at, or maybe you're somewhere in between. But I pray that you work through this. And I want to just give you a little bit of time before I close in prayer to work through that, to uh, pray on your own, just a little short time of quiet here, to pray on your own. Maybe there's some pride and self-confidence. It says, I've been doing all right. You need to just squash that and confess it. Maybe there's just some thankfulness. You need to say, thank you, Lord, for your grace. I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying to work out my salvation, thinking it's up to me, and I've not been acknowledging and grateful that you've already been done and are doing the work in me. So take a minute where you're at. Either confess the pride or thankfulness, somewhere in between, and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord, we're just thankful today for your grace. You are gracious. Thank you that we can, um, we can just look to you, Lord, in our, in our doubts, in our lack of assurance, in our fear and trembling, and we can say, oh, God, you work in us. You who have begun a good work will bring it to completion. And so we praise you for that. And Lord, where there is pride, where where we are pretty confident that we're doing a pretty good job, Lord, where we think we've got this down, Lord, bring us to humility. Shake that, Lord, in us. We would say, Lord, you're exalted. You're the one. You're the batteries in this ship. You're the one working. And Lord, do your work through us. But We acknowledge you and we praise you your name. Guide us, Lord, to 
to carry these two things, to have a right kind of fear and trembling and a right kind of gracious, uh, a right kind of thankfulness for your graciousness in our lives. I pray that, Lord, thankful for the blood of Christ, again, reconciling us to you. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.